Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we bring in some of the best reporters in Chicago to unpack the biggest local and state stories of the week, like these. Mayor Lightfoot declaring racism as a public health crisis in Chicago. WBEZ has learned that Jose Torres will serve as interim CEO of CPS. Lawmakers back in Springfield to debate the clean energy bill, but the bill once again stalled. CPS is a major step closer to having a fully elected school board, and Governor Pritzker says he will make it law once it hits his desk. Quite the roller coaster of legislation here today at the State House. Yep, that's a lot. So let's dive right in with WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Egoin. Kimberly, welcome back. Nice to meet you, Sasha. Also with us is A.D. Quigg, government and politics reporter at Crane Chicago Business. Hey, A.D. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with politics. Illinois lawmakers were back in Springfield wrapping up a few things from that spring legislative session. Now, a gun control measure won approval in the Illinois House. So what is in that bill? Go ahead, Kimberly. Yeah, if I may. Nice to talk to you again, A.D. It's been a while. Um, One of the things that is most important that is coming out of this bill, which really was precipitated by a mass shooting in Aurora several years ago, where the person who perpetrated the crime should not have had a gun. He should have his void card should have been revoked. So a part of this bill is to try and have a massive database in which the government, you know, different law enforcement agencies would have the ability to see who should have their car revoked. They can go through the process of making sure that happens. Another thing is background checks for private sales. So these are two of the things that are most important. There is a line that everyone is kind of dancing around to kind of balance the issue of major gun violence in northern Illinois, including and especially Chicago. And this idea that in southern Illinois, guns, of course, are used a lot for hunting and a lot of people really want to have gun ownership. So what is kind of being lost in the conversation? conversation a little bit, A.D. and Sasha, is this idea is when we're talking about legal gun ownership, people who actually go through the process of getting a FOID card, is that really going to make any type of impact on the gun violence that seems to be just taking over in the city of Chicago, where we're really thinking that most of the people who are perpetrating those crimes have not taken any of those steps to even get a gun license? Wow. I want to shift and talk about a bill that didn't pass. Uh, A.D., tell us why the Senate left Springfield without voting on that big energy bill. Right. This energy bill has been the subject to tons of twists and turns. The important thing is that the governor made this a priority and it's still in limbo. The idea is to, over the coming decades, phase out carbon emitting energy providers with the goal of making Illinois carbon free by 2050. And a lot of the hubbub has been between labor and environmentalists. Labor is worried about losing jobs at plants. Environmentalists want to see carbon phased out. The negotiations seemed wrapped up. Some of the last minute stuff about the ramps to closing certain coal-fired plants. But the latest twist that really threw that final wrench into it was that competitive power ventures threatened to halt construction on a gas-fired facility they were planning in Grundy County. They basically said if the bill passed, um, this firm decarbonization date, which basically says if you're emitting a certain amount of 
carbon you have to phase out. Basically, they said, we're not emitting any carbon yet, so we'd be out of the game before we could even really get started. Mm-hmm. So they were planning on running this thing for 30 years. They say some of the language would force them to shut down a lot sooner. Senate President Don Harmon says, we're going to keep working at this, and it's possible that lawmakers could come back for a special session later this summer. And while this is happening, the Chicago area's last remaining coal-fired power plants announced they're all closing. Yeah, it's the end of an era. These are two plants that have been in operations for decades in Waukegan and Romeoville. This time next year, they'll be closed and 110 people will have their jobs impacted. Um, This is a big win for environmental activists who were worried about just regular pollution of the air and water. A lot of high school students in the area had asthma. Um, It's also just a a reflection of what energy economics are like now. Natural gas is cheaper and clean energy like wind and solar are really heavily subsidized. That makes it harder for coal burning plants to succeed. So there's some hope that these plants can be converted to clean energy. And again, this all goes back to that energy bill debate and what the fate of certain coal plants will be. Uh, They're supposed to close by 2035, and maybe they can convert over to clean energy, but we're not sure. A.D., there was also a a shakeup in the Pritzker administration. What are you hearing about why Deputy Governor Dan Hines is leaving? So unlike all the hubbub we've had at the city about exits in Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration, this sounds like it was planned. This is still a pretty big shakeup for the Pritzker administration. Hines uh, was the go-to on Dan Hines was the go-to on budget and financial issues. He'd been there since the transition in 2018, comes from a prominent Southwest Side political family. He was kind of a big get for the administration. He was state comptroller for 10 years, uh, also worked in the private sector, ran for governor in 2010 unsuccessfully. He'll be replaced by former state senator Andy Menar, who is also known as like a a budgeteer, Uh, really knowledgeable on school funding issues and a lot of other stuff. It sounds like Hines had been planning this for a bit and wanted to leave before the governor's term was up. Traditionally, people that do government service say, I'm going to stay for a little while and then I'm going to leave to make more money, usually because they have a kid that's going to college. But this job paid close to $300,000, which is a lot more than a typical government job. Let's turn to schools, Kimberly. Uh, In a big blow for Mayor Lightfoot, the Illinois House approved an elected school board for Chicago. Were you surprised by the final vote or by the mayor's strong opposition to this elected school board? Well, I think that voters who voted for her, Sasha, were surprised when they found out about her opposition because this is one of the categories that she really, one of the things that she pushed, a, a major platform of, you know, trying to bring, quote unquote, equity and to be that candidate with the progressive ideals. So to for her to run on that, a lot of people were shocked when it came time to do it. It looked like mm, she kind of enjoyed, you know, this idea of being able to appoint a full board, but then she wanted well, maybe a hybrid board, something like that, so that she could still maintain control. So when we're talking about the board right now that they did finally pass, we're talking about 21 seats. 21 uh, people would be on this board, and initially in 2021 at least, or 2022 when everything begins, you would start out with 10 of the seats would be elected, and 11 of the seats, including the board president, would be appointed by the mayor. So she would still maintain some level of control if you think about it in that way. I think that when we're talking about this, we really need to pay attention to a power shift because right now we've got 50 wards with aldermen, but you're talking about 21 people that are going to have districts that are, if I'm imagining what those districts look like, their areas are going to be larger than even an aldermanic ward in a way. I'm not exactly sure how it's 
going to be laid out, and I haven't seen it. But it's going to be interesting to see how much of a power play this is to have someone elected to a position like that and where they will rank as far as elected offices around the city of Chicago. What does that mean? What does it mean for finance reform as as well with the uh, elected board? Because now it's another elected office. And will only rich people, people who have a lot of money to put on an election, be able to serve in those positions? A.D., there was a procedural hold placed on this elected school board bill by the sponsor. What was that about and, and what does it mean for the bill? Right. So this is kind of becoming a more common parliamentary procedure. Um, the sponsor, Representative Delia Ramirez, basically said, I'm putting a brick on this to prevent any funny business in the meantime. And they also kind of nodded to the fact that Mayor Lori Lightfoot wants to keep negotiating over some of the aspects of this and that there could be a trailer bill down the line. Um, so the mayor has said she has several concerns. I think she's already lost the battle on the size of the board. She has said 21 members is too unwieldy. Um, she said she's also worried about a lack of representation of undocumented parents um, who would not be able to run. She's worried about how the districts will be drawn and the fact that we could have a majority white voting populace voting on issues uh, in a district that is majority children and families of color. The other important thing that Kim pointed out is the power issues here. If we look at Los Angeles, we could see how quickly those their school board elections got expensive so fast. Um, there's concerns about too many types of interests having too big of a sway. So maybe the Chicago Teachers Union, maybe uh, charter school interests, maybe just the business community in general. These could get expensive uh, very quickly. So I'll be interested to see what a potential trailer bill mm-hmm. looks like. But in many ways, it's it's too late for the mayor to win back a lot of the stuff she wanted initially. And Kimberly, just before the Illinois House approved the elected school board, Mayor Lightfoot appointed former Elgin School Superintendent Jose Torres as interim CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. What do we know about Torres and how long do you think he might actually be doing the job? Well, you know, we have seen people before come into a position like that and say that they're just interim, and then next thing you know, they throw their hat in the ring. A little bit different when Eddie Johnson became superintendent. He was not on the original list of people that were actually chosen from. They were they were down to three finalists, and then they threw the whole thing out, and Rahm Emanuel chose Eddie Johnson. So there is a chance, considering the demographic that he comes from, he is Latino, mm-hmm. and we're talking about um, 40% of the students who uh, currently attend Chicago Public Schools are also Latino. This is a burgeoning population. But the one thing that we have to be careful of, you know, the populations that he comes from as far as the schools that he's been a part of. I know he was over Elgin, but he also was over IMSA, which is the Illinois Math and Science Academy. Not a very diverse population. Um, It's one of those schools for really accelerated math and science, and a lot of geniuses come out of there. But I don't know about the diversity level. So it's going to be very interesting to watch to see how he balances those interests, especially with strong black parent groups that are starting to come on the scene demanding more in resources, uh, better curriculum for their children. They feel like they're getting lost yeah. in the battle between CTU and CPS. And he says he doesn't want the job, but like you said, stranger things have happened for sure. Over to crime now, you know, something that also consumed the headlines were these mass shootings, right? Uh, That's when four or more people are shot. Uh, Now, in the third mass shooting on the south side in just over a week, there were four people killed, another four wounded in Englewood early Thursday. Hours later, a group of five people were shot in West Garfield Park. Kimberly, what was your reaction when you heard this news? Because it's it's a lot. Well, I don't have a very strong reaction except for when 
is this going to be dealt with? And I think that that is the feeling of most people. I've attended no fewer than three meetings over the last week in those areas where these mass shootings have occurred. One in uh, Park Manor, of course, where one woman was killed, 10 people shot in the presence of police officers. By account, at least 30 police officers and 15 cars were in the exact area at the time where the young woman was killed. Yeah. And we're talking about Inglewood, which may be an isolated incident, but here's the problem, Sasha. When you never catch anyone, you don't know who is committing the crimes. These people are still in the community, able to wreak havoc, and they, they may be the same people. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they come from. Residents are starting to get exhausted with that. They want police officers to see them as not partners, because a community member cannot necessarily be a partner. They were not trained to do what police do. They want to hear fewer excuses, and they want to see some results But by catching some of the perpetrators to get them away from the law-abiding citizens, of which 99% of these communities are filled with law-abiding citizens who feel like they're being held hostage. Yeah. You think the gun control bill that Illinois lawmakers just passed is going to have any impact here? No, because as I mentioned before, the one thing that we have seen is when they do catch people, when they do get the guns off the street, these are not guns being owned by someone. These are guns that someone has purchased illegally. There are a lot of illegal guns on the street, so I'm not sure where that bill fits in with that. And honestly, I'm always looking for solutions. I don't know what the solution is to that, but I don't know that that bill takes care of it. Before we take a pause, I want to switch over to talking about the mayor once again, because there was another Lori Lightfoot story this weekend. The, the Chicago Tribune made an open records request for some of her communications, and they found some pretty irate emails uh, where she was sort of berating her staff about her need for what she calls office time. So, A.D., tell us the backstory here. Yes, we've had a series of really interesting stories come out of leaked emails from the mayor's office, including, this has been Greg Pratt from the Tribune, uh, voying these and kind of tweeting some of the most interesting ones he's found. And there was one a couple weeks ago, uh, back and forth between the mayor and city clerk Anna Valencia, about essentially the mayor swiping staff from Valencia's office and clerk Valencia being upset that she didn't get a heads up and saying, I want to be able to work with you on this. And then there have been quite a few others that came out as a result of that Jones Day leak, uh, that showed us a little bit more about how public safety messaging happens in the city of Chicago. And it's all been pretty embarrassing for the mayor. But the one that seemed to blow up was this. Um, a lot of people compared it to Jack Torrance in The Shining. It was the mayor typing out a sentence and then copy pasting it about 10 or 20 more over times. And saying, over and over and over again. Over and over. Yeah. Um, I need office so, time every day. I need office time every day. And so I was curious about office time because I avoided the mayor's schedule in her first year in office. And office time, I was told, is basically where the mayor has uninterrupted time to read or catch up on yeah, news where, like, or make the calls on that her she calendar. wants. There's like nothing nothing's scheduled. Nothing's on her calendar. Yeah. But the fact that this couldn't have been a meeting with the mayor making her point rather than what some folks on Twitter described as a screed, and it should be noted that the person that this email was sent to, the primary person this email was sent to, left the administration. Right, she's and there's gone. kind of been an there's been an ongoing discussion about are the big vacancies in the mayor's office, is this apparent exodus from the mayor's office due to the mayor herself? And this just kind of fed into that narrative that her personality is rubbing people the wrong way and it's making it more difficult for her to get her agenda through. That's A.D. Quigg from Crane Chicago Business and WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agoen. And we're about halfway through this roundup. So take a breath and dive into these stories. Illinois government offices are closed today in observance of the new federal law making Juneteenth an official holiday. June 19th recognizes the day the last enslaved black people were freed in Texas in 1865. We have come far and we have far to go. But today 
is a day of celebration. Illinois is creating its own lottery for people who are vaccinated against coronavirus. There's no sign up, no forms, no waiting in line. You did your part already, and this is a way of saying thank you. The Bears have officially submitted a bid to buy this 326-acre property, Arlington International Racecourse. So let's pick this up with yesterday's announcement that Illinois is holding a special lottery for vaccinated residents. A.D., what are the details? So the short version is, if you've already been vaccinated, you are automatically entered. You don't have to do anything to sign up. Ah. And if you get a shot before July, you'll be entered into the most drawings. I think what the state is trying to do is boost their numbers as much as they can before Joe Biden's basically July 4th deadline, essentially, to have as much as 70 percent of American adults vaccinated. Illinois has reached that 70% of adults having at least one shot, which is very exciting. But they're trying to juice the numbers a little bit more with financial incentives, which we've seen in a few other states. So there are two types of drawings. There's one for adults and there's one for youth. The adult one is $7 million. Um, there will wow. be three, yeah, three $1 million drawings and 40 $100,000 drawings. The youth drawings isn't a cash prize. It's $150,000 scholarships. Those are basically full rides to state schools. This is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we're at 50% of the state's population fully vaccinated. The goal is to get closer to 80 or 85%. The state is fully open. I'll be fascinated to see how much the numbers go up in the coming weeks if this really works and incentivizes people to go. Yeah, AD, that's a lot of money. But do you think that it's enough of an incentive to get the people who are not vaccinated to get their shot? I don't know. You know, what has been proven true is that positive incentives work more than trying to scare people. We'll see. I'm also curious how this has worked in Ohio, which was one of the first states to do it. I think it's a pretty powerful motivator. And if if nothing else, it gets people remembering that shots are out there and available and free. And if you want to weigh the risks of not having a shot against the possibility of getting a ton of money, maybe you think getting a bunch of money wins out. Right. Well, go ahead, Kimberly. Yeah. Um, At the same time they were doing that, there also was a lawsuit that was dismissed in Houston. Houston Memorial Hospital has mandated the COVID-19 vaccine for all of their staff. And there is a group of people who challenged that. Now, the lawsuit did get thrown out. However, they are appealing that. Um, This idea that there is still a group of people and it crosses all races, it crosses ages, it crosses political affiliation that are still saying that they have their reasons, not necessarily anti-vaxxers. I had the opportunity to to interview a woman and will be interviewing her on a television show um, next week where she said she got the vaccinations for all all of the vaccinations for her children and has been vaccinated for everything. But this is the one that's the bridge too far. So there is a segment of the population, which is the reason why our government is willing to say we'll take millions of dollars, federal dollars, and try to use it as an incentive. Kimberly, in other signs, though, that the pandemic is lifting, Grant Park Music Festival is returning at full capacity, uh, but there's no gospel, jazz or blues fests. What do you think about that? Is that a good move or, or a loss for Chicago? I will, I will tell you, I'm thinking that Lollapalooza kind of set the stage. And I know that Lollapalooza is such a major revenue generator here. We get a lot of money from Lollapalooza that I think that that was the driving factor. I mean, when, when you're talking about opening up the way that we opened up in the city of Chicago, Chicago, mm-hmm. revenue is the driving factor. So uh, Gospel Fest and Jazz Fest, which and Blues Fest, those are all festivals that are extreme fan favorites here, but they probably do not generate the type of revenue. But there's nothing saying that there may not be a change a little bit later because there are a lot of people who are hot, very mad at the idea that those festivals are not coming back. 
In other reopening news, the Grand Dame of Chicago Hotels, that's the Palmer House, reopened yesterday. So, A.D., how are the city hotels doing overall? Are they still having trouble getting staff to come back? I think staffing is less the issue and more patrons. So a lot of these big hotels rely on convention business, which is only barely picking up. We're going to have the auto show here in July, but it'll be a lot smaller than it normally is. Business meetings have not picked up all the way, but vacancy rates are improving. And the Palmer House reopening is a good sign. There are a few hotels that shut down permanently. In Palmer House's case, um, it's been closed for 15 months. They were undergoing $4 million in improvements, renovations. They fixed up their pool. So far, about 200 of their staff have been brought back, but that's out of a staff of 900. And they're planning on a kind of phased reopening where half of rooms uh, will be bookable from the start, the limit room service to kind of grab and go pickups from the lobby. But the hotel industry is going to be facing, you know, a long recovery. I don't think we'll see them fully recovered until 2023 or 2024. And that includes Palmer House. It had its value slashed. It owed quite a bit in debt. Mm-hmm. And it was seeing declining incomes even pre-pandemic. Um, AD, Mayor Lightfoot's Shy Biz Strong recovery initiative is now a step closer to passage. Remind us what's in this package and and where it is now in terms of city council approval. Right. So this is a 90 plus page package. Um, It cleared city council's license committee on Thursday. So that means it is headed for a full vote at the city council on Wednesday. Um, That includes a new rule, somewhat controversial, barring liquor sales from stores after midnight. That's a slight compromise. The mayor initially wanted to cut those off at 10 p.m., saying there are a lot of Um, Aldermen and police who say this is a public nuisance issue, a safety issue. Other stuff included in this, a six-month cap on food delivery app fees. So Grubhub and companies like it could only charge 15% of fees. This is supposed to be a way to help uh, restaurants that are still recovering. The other thing that got a lot of attention was kind of a a sticky one. Um, The city wants to make it a lot faster for businesses to get city approvals for signs. Um, This is one of the only things that got major pushback from aldermen, but small businesses say it's taking us forever to get approval on this stuff. This kind of goes back to the aldermanic prerogative Uh debate. Some argued this reduced their say in what happens in their wards and that Joe Schmo from the Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection doesn't actually know what's going on in their wards. But ultimately, this thing passed. Only three aldermen voted against it. Fifteen voted for. This also includes other sped up applications for new restaurants who want to move into recently closed restaurants. Outdoor dining spaces can open at seven instead of eight and legalization of cocktails to go. A lot of people are also talking about a a business related sports story this week. It involves the the Bears and the uh, Arlington racetrack. What's going on there, A.D.? It's a huge story. This got floated a few months ago and just blew up this week when the Bears tweeted, seemingly out of nowhere, that they had submitted a bid for this racetrack site in the suburbs. So the discussion a few months ago was that the Bears wanted to be able to host a Super Bowl, which is currently out of the question because of capacity. I think Soldier Field can only seat about 61,000 in a typical Super Bowl. You want about 75,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Soldier Field isn't domed, and it's very cold here in February. But because they're leasing the space from the Chicago Park District, there's a lot of other stuff they can't do that makes Arlington a little bit more attractive. Sponsorships, a year-round gift shop kind of setup, or creating something similar to what's happened around Wrigley Field, like a village of other stuff, restaurants and bars and shops that keep people there and spending money. The mayor says this bid is just a negotiating tactic and then kind of twisted the knife by saying the Bears aren't a great team right now. Um, They should focus on getting better at that. Um, The current lease is supposed to end in 2033. They could negotiate a buyout or they could stay that whole time. Stadiums take a really long time to build. 
And if they did get this Arlington site, they would have a ton of space. It's 326 acres. It's way bigger than a typical stadium footprint. So I'll be interested to see if they go forward with this, what kind of stuff do they propose building around the actual stadium site? Do they do Wrigley stuff yeah. or do they do residential development? Interesting. Kimberly, I want to switch gears here because Juneteenth is now an official state holiday, which is a big deal. All government offices are closed today in honor of the holiday. And as we talked about earlier in the show, our area, you know, we're, it's a big deal for not just our region, but the country. So what are you hearing about Juneteenth celebrations around you? Are you are there fun events that folks are talking about or restaurant promotions? Oh, lots. So really, there are organizations that before they decided to finally designate it this year, people have been celebrating with votercades, uh, riding around different neighborhoods, restaurants, supporting black businesses, something called Black Cultural Week, in which you're just having just an explosion of all types of cultural events. The one thing that I would caution, and I'm seeing more information about this on Instagram as well as Facebook, is depending upon which level of government, there are people who feel like, for example, the state of Illinois, the Black Caucus passed a lot of strong legislation to bolster the black community. So it it makes sense that Juneteenth would pass there. But they're looking at the city of Chicago and looking at the federal government saying, you know, we're asking for equity. We're asking for an anti-lynching bill, police reform, George Floyd reform, voting rights reform, Mm -hmm. and you give us Juneteenth, which we already celebrate anyway. Mm -hmm. So there is, some people are not that happy with the idea of it because it's something that the black community was celebrating anyway they want to see more than symbolism and i think that that is you're going to see those cries get stronger as you don't see more bills passed to alleviate some of the conditions in the african-american communities but as we're celebrating juneteenth kimberly there was also a poll that came out this week showing most chicagoans don't want lakeshore drive renamed in honor of early black chicago settler jean baptiste du sable Will aldermen be voting on this proposal next Wednesday at the full city council meeting? You know, according to 4th Ward Alderman Sophia King, she has got the votes to get it passed. I would also say that I got an opportunity to look at that poll. And with polls, you never know exactly who they're polling. So when I saw the numbers and the breakdowns a little bit, uh, there weren't a lot of black people who were polled for that (laughs) from the numbers that I was looking at. But here's the other thing. There's compromises that can be made with that. It could be called DuSable Lakeshore Drive. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. They've already said that the addresses for people who live on Lakeshore Drive, those will not change. It really is just the outer drive that you drive. It would be named for the founder of the city. It's going to be very interesting to see if the mayor has to make a compromise with this because she had to make one with the alcohol sales. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see if Alderman King really does have those votes. Final story today. This week also brought news of several additional Chicago Tribune staff members taking the company's early buyout option. Columnists Eric Zorn and Heidi Stevens both decided to leave, as well as the editor-in-chief of uh, Chicago Magazine, Susanna Homan. A.D., what is going to happen to this paper? I don't know. There's going to be less news. Like, there's no other way to say it. When you have 25% of your staff opting to take a buyout, that means you're probably going to have at least 25% less stuff for people to read, 25% fewer um, watchdogs on certain issues, a lot less diverse opinions on what's happening in the news, and pointing stuff out and perspectives that we might not get elsewhere. It's just been sad. It's been really sad to watch, and it happened so quickly after this Alden acquisition. I'm just sad. (laughs) That's the short version of it. I'm sad about it. I think that that echoes a lot what a lot of folks are feeling. How about you, Kimberly? 
And there are real questions, like who were offered the buyouts? You only hear about the buyouts when they take them. So who are they offering the buyouts to? Who are the staff that they're talking about keeping? It's not the most diverse staff in the first place. So if you have two black writers, I mean, are they being offered buyouts? And then will you have any black voices there at all? You know, I'm just thinking about it from that perspective. And also, I mean, are they going toward just being on the Internet? I mean, are they going to keep publishing an actual paper? Or would this be, are we going in that direction? It's yeah. very interesting the way it's developing. Thank you so much to our panel today, WVON commentator Kimberly Egoen and Crane Chicago business reporter A.D. Quigg. Have a great weekend. And that's a wrap for this week's recap. For the latest COVID news and updates around the full reopening, masking, vaccinations, and more, watch this feed for our weekly Q&A with Dr. Mia Taramina. You'll catch it first thing Sunday morning. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Make the best of the hot weather. We'll meet again soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.